we'll get into the Bible study. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we just come before your throne today. Lord, we're so thankful for the Holy Spirit that you've given us to live within us, to uh, give us understanding. And so as we study your word, we just pray that the Holy Spirit of God would give us understanding, would illuminate the word of God, would, would help us to apply it to our life practically. Um, because, Lord, just knowing theology isn't enough. We want to live it out in our life. We want to live out the word of God so people see you in us. Uh, and, Lord, we just come this morning. We're so thankful for Jesus Christ, um, that you were willing to send him. Christ, that you were willing to come, not counting quality with um, God the Father or something to grasp, but you emptied yourself and took on the form of a servant, the form of a man, humbling yourself even to the point of dying on the cross that we might have everlasting life. And, Father, we are so thankful that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us perfectly and unconditionally. And so just so thankful that we can come before your throne tonight. And we do come. We're lifting up uh, A.J. Millis, Chase Norman, Lord, as you know all that's going on in this situation is there in the hospital tonight. Just pray you touch their bodies, bring healing to, to their bodies. Lord, we continue to pray for the uh, Josh and Jen as they travel back and forth. Uh, Lord, for Jen as she recovers. Um, uh, through this process, Lord, for Maverick, as as he just grows into the young man, uh, that I know you have just wonderful plans for his life. And so we're just so thankful that Josh got to hold him today. And, Lord, we just ask that, again, be with Jen and Josh as they travel back and forth. Be with Maverick, Lord, just to give him peace, even as just this little baby. Just give him peace so that as the doctors and nurses treat uh, him, um, Lord, being premature as much as he was, uh, that there would be no setbacks. Lord, we just pray that lungs would fully develop, breathing on its own, um, uh, to the point where they're not having to use um, any type of um, feeding methods other than um, just uh, him uh, feeding on his own. Uh, Lord, we're looking forward to that day, and we're just thinking in advance, and we just praise you for, um, Lord, already all you've done for Maverick, and, uh, and Lord, it's obvious he, he's a miracle already. And uh, we're just looking forward to seeing him grow up and to watch him develop into a, from a child to a young man. And, and Lord, just excited about what you're going to do in his life. And so, Lord, we pray for all those uh, in our medical field, Lord, who are uh, nurses and doctors and, uh, Lord, anesthesiologists and, and every person in the medical field. Uh, Lord, every position within hospitals and, and facilities. And we just pray that you would protect them as they work to treat the sick. Lord, that you would prevent them from getting sick so they could take care of the sick. And, uh, Lord, we pray for our country, for the leadership in our country. Uh, Lord, from the, the federal government to the state government to the local government, that you would just uh, give our leaders godly wisdom as they lead and guide us during this time. And, uh, Lord, we just pray that as we go through this process, uh, that we would have an open heart and mind so that you might speak to us even through this tragedy. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, yeah, if you're just joining us, if, you, if you're logging in or you're passing by, we're going to study uh, the book of Ephesians. And so tonight, just kind of want to uh, uh, give some background, uh, a little bit of information about kind of um, the author, the date, the background, the setting, and, uh, and then uh, dig in and maybe get through uh, uh, the first four verses or so uh, in the first chapter. And so I shared before, Ephesians is a book that is almost can easily be divided into um, two sections where the first three chapters are very heavily um, theological. They emphasize New Testament doctrine, 
um, where the last three chapters in the book of Ephesians uh, deal more with practical. How do we live it out? So the first three chapters, Paul is addressing the church at Ephesus and reminding them of the doctrine of the church, what we believe as a church, uh, as followers of Christ. And then the last three chapters in the book of Ephesians uh, are geared more at the practical outworking of that theology in our life. Uh, so that as we, we go throughout our days and uh, weeks, months, years, uh, whether it be at home or at work or at play, that people see Christ in us. And so uh, so that's kind of a, a rough outline of the book of Ephesians. Uh, more than likely, Ephesians is written somewhere between A.D. 60 and A.D. 62. So put that in perspective. Uh, there's two datings for the crucifixion. I'm okay really with either one, but some people date the crucifixion to A.D. 30. Others date it to A.D. 33. And so when you look at those datings, we're roughly talking about 30 years after the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ when Paul writes this letter uh, to the Ephesians. Paul's writing this letter uh, from, a, from a prison cell in Rome. And so we know where Paul is in his writing. In fact, uh, Acts 26 um, or, or I'm sorry, Acts 28, verses 16 through, uh, through uh, 31, uh, kind of gives a, a detail of the Apostle Paul writing this letter, where he is. He, he's in a Roman uh, prison. Uh, more than likely, um, the first, um, I guess, the first members of the church, those who started the church, uh, we could probably um, go back to uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Um, in Acts chapter 18, 26, Paul leaves them in Ephesus in a second missionary journeys and so but you can just kind of follow the book of Acts and really see how the early New Testament churches are formed like Acts 16 you're going to see the church at Philippi formed Acts um, 18 you're going to see uh, where Paul leaves Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus and there the gospel begins to be spread through those two um, where is uh, Ephesus well it's, it's modern day Turkey uh, in the Roman Empire, it was the capital of, um, of the Asian part of the Roman Empire. It, it had one of the seven wonders of the world. It had the, um, the temple that was built to Artemis the Great. You'll remember in Acts when, uh, when Paul is pulled into the amphitheater in Ephesus, and uh, they want to stone him, they want to kill him, um, because they say he's preaching against Artemis. And, uh, and so... Um, also, it could be the same, uh, the Roman goddess would be Diana, uh, the same equivalent of Artemis. And so uh, it's the capital of, of the Roman Empire in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, the church seems to be kind of fledgling. So it's a church that was planted, again, probably by Priscilla and Aquila. And it's just kind of fledgling, you know, if you're, if you're in the book of Acts and you're reading through. Um, but... Um, Eventually, Paul himself is going to minister here in this church, and, and Paul's going to minister for three years. Uh, so Paul dedicates three years of his ministry in the book of Acts to the church in Ephesus. And so Priscilla and Aquila kind of seem to be left there to start sharing and planning the gospel in Ephesus. And then Paul comes back uh, and actually spends three years in Ephesus uh, pastoring the church and then it's Timothy that Paul leaves in charge of the church after he uh, leaves. So Timothy pastors or, or ministers uh, uh, the church in Ephesus for, for about a year and a half, probably. 
And so we see four and a half years of the early uh, development of the church at Ephesus uh, is under the, the teaching and, and the uh, administration of the Apostle Paul for three years and uh, Timothy. Um, and we see that in First Timothy. Uh, we, we see some interesting things about the church at Ephesus in First Timothy because Paul is writing First Timothy and trying to encourage Timothy and give him some instruction about how to deal with the church. And it is the church at Ephesus that the letter of 1 Timothy is written to Timothy about. And so we know that there were uh, some influential men that in the church that were guilty of false teaching uh, because 1 uh, Timothy uh, names those men. And so, in fact, um, at 1 Timothy, it says uh, that Hymenaeus and Alexander, who were probably elders in the congregation at that time because uh, Paul had uh, written to Timothy, and told Timothy to uh, to appoint elders and gave him instructions of who could be elders and, and uh, who could be deacons, uh, of course, which is where we uh, try to follow those guidelines for, for our church today. Uh, and as he's doing that in 1 Timothy 1 and, and verse 3 and then uh, verse 20, we kind of see uh, Paul call out these two for false teaching uh, throughout the book of Timothy. He also, um, uh, he, he tells Timothy that false teachers... Um, that the problem is that they, they don't rightly understand the Scripture uh, and that their um, ungodly interpretations are done with confidence so that the, uh, the average person in the, in the pews, you might say, in Ephesus were being taught falsely, wrongly, because these men got up confidently and preached something that just wasn't true. And uh, so Timothy is having to deal with that, and, uh, and that is... Um, here in the church at Ephesus. Um, yeah, so Paul writes it around 60 to 62 A.D., which is 30 years or so after the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. Uh, it is a huge um, city, uh, the, the capital of the Roman Empire in Asia Minor. Now, let me give you kind of a rough outline. If you have a, a pencil or a pen nearby, uh, you might want to just kind of jot it down so that maybe you get to take some time and spend a little time studying this throughout uh, this upcoming week. And, and so I'd like to give you an outline that I'm, I'm going to be using as we study uh, the book of Ephesians uh, on Sunday nights. So one of the things Paul seems to always do in the letters, um, the epistles that we attribute without any question, these belong to Paul, is he begins with a salutation. Usually the first verse or two verses are Paul kind of introducing himself um, usually he will uh, introduce himself as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he do that? He identifies himself as the apostle of Christ to show where he has the authority to teach them. And, and so if he just says, hey, I, I'm Paul. Uh, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. I persecuted the church. Um, I saw the resurrected Christ, so now I'm a Christian, and so I'm teaching. All that, none of that would give him the authority to preach and teach the word of God in the manner which he does, what does allow him to do it is that he is an apostle of Christ. He has seen the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, um, and so he's given that authority, and now he can teach. So we take his teaching to be trustworthy, not because of who he is, but because of whose he is, and not because of anything he did, but because of what Christ did in revealing himself to Paul. And so chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 are just an introduction, a salutation, um, 
then the second part of the book of uh, Ephesians will go all the way from chapter 1, verse 3 uh, to chapter 3, verse 13. And there are some pretty big topics in there. And you'll notice how heavy they are in like New Testament doctrine and, uh, and theology. Because in these sections, and I, I have them in order, so I'll share those with you in order, of what the Apostle Paul addresses with the church at Ephesus, is he begins uh, by talking about the predestination of Christ. And especially in verses 1, uh, chapter 1, 3 through chapter 6, it, he's really talking heavily about the predestination of Christ. And we'll get into that, and we'll talk about that, and I'll take any questions you have about that. I, I love this discussion. Uh, because we have too many people that make, uh, I think, too much of it uh, on all sides of the discussion over predestination. Uh, and then he talks about redemption that's available in Christ, and that starts uh, at the end of verse 6 and goes all the way through verse 10. And then he talks about the inheritance we have in Christ. That inheritance in Christ, he starts in chapter 1, verses 11 through verses 14. Uh, and then he moves to the resources uh, that Christ provides for us, our resources that we have uh, in Christ. And that those resources he lists uh, in chapter 1, verses 15, uh, through the end of chapter 1, verse 23. And, and then going into chapter 2, the first 10 verses, Paul addresses um, the new life we have in Christ. And so I just want to tell you right up front now, Ephesians is a book that's going to cause you to stop and ask yourself some tough questions about what you believe, uh, what the early church believed. Um, and so I, I, but I just encourage you uh, to be um, uh, molded through this process, not, not by anything I would teach you, but by what the Word of God plainly teaches, uh, and then in prayer asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. So understand, even though this uh, possibly Ephesians is one of the later letters that Paul wrote, it's still within 30 years of the crucifixion and resurrection. So we're, I mean, it, not even a generation has gone by. And, and this is laying out what the, the church in Jerusalem and what the New Testament church had been given by Christ and then immediately is being taught by the apostles and the, the disciples. And so, uh, uh, listen, I'm trying to, to field the comments. And so uh, just any questions as they come up, write in the comment section, uh, any observations, um, and uh, as we go throughout the study. Uh, and then the, the final part of, of section number two, so we have the salutation. Uh, section two is kind of God's purpose for the church. So all these things like predestination in Christ and redemption in Christ, inheritance in Christ, all these things kind of fall under. What, what is God's purpose for the church? Um, and so at the end, from uh, chapter two, verse 11, all the way through chapter three, uh, verse 13, is we see uh, Paul's appeal to the church um, for unity. And so, of course, that is a major theme from the Gospels all the way throughout the entire New Testament is Christ desires that we be unified as his church. And so uh, this that'll take us through chapter 3, verse 13. Um, just a question. Can, can, every, can everyone hear me okay? Uh, where I'm sitting, I have a bad reception, so hopefully the, the picture is uh, manageable and, uh, and that you can hear me okay. So if you would just kind of like give me a yes in the comment section. Um, uh, if you can't hear me, I want to stop and I want to uh, kind of get things fixed. So uh, if you can just give me a yes, 
uh, that you can hear me and that you can see me okay. I pr there's the thumbs up. Thank you. You guys are more technologically advanced than me. I, I'm looking for a yes, and you're giving me the thumbs up. So I'm going to take that to me and move forward. Um, after, God, after Paul talks about the purpose of the church, uh, he then goes into section 3 uh, where he's talking about the fullness, God's fullness for the church and what God desires to see within the church. Uh, and that's just, it, it is a section all on its own. It's not a big bullet point list. It's just um, God's fullness for the church, which runs from chapter 3, verse 14 through verse 21. And, and that takes us through the first three chapters in, in Ephesians. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave that right there where it is, uh, hit it one more time, and then I'll save um, how chapter 4, 5, and 6 is broken down because remember that the first three chapters deal with uh, what we believe, why we believe it, what is the New Testament doctrine on things. And then in chapter 4 we shift and Paul begins to uh, talk about this is how we live it out. Um, and so, well, just uh, Ephesians, uh, I've got friends who uh, who just want to kind of stay away from the book because there are just some very blatant uh, things that Ephesians deals with that we need to deal with uh, within the church today. And uh, and so what we should, what I think we find out in Ephesians is um, whether we're Presbyterian, whether we're Reformed Baptist, whether we're traditional Baptist, whether we're Methodist, um, that we're Christians. And though there may be uh, some minor, I would say, I think it's minor, some minor differences in how we view uh, the work of sanctification, uh, the work of redemption, uh, I think that Ephesians makes us stop and look at, look at this topic and look at um, being chosen in Christ, for instance, or the predestination of Christ. Uh, Baptists, and, and I'm, I'm a Baptist, so anyone who's not a Baptist still Stay tuned. I'm not. I'm not going off on a Baptist tangent, but Baptists, especially Southern Baptists, we affirm uh, and we believe in the predestination of Christ. We believe that God's uh, predestined things, and uh, and God has arranged things, and that's not that's not debatable. What's changed over time is how we try to define these terms. What we mean when we say predestination. What me, we mean when we say redemption. And so uh, as we go through this, um, you may have a question that comes up uh, right in the comment section. It may be too long a question to write, and, and I just want to encourage you. Again, I want to invite you uh, that if we ever get to a point in the conversation where you have a question that's just too big to write, too long to write, that you contact me that you, through Messenger. If you have my number, call me and so that we can kind of talk through this because it's a beautifully written book with some of the earliest doctrine that we have available to us. And this is a very uh, theologically rich doctrinal book um, that forces us to stop and look and say, what do we believe about these topics? And what did the early church, the first church, the church in Jerusalem, and, and then um, the apostle Paul and the church that he planted, what did they believe about these topics? And uh, I don't know about you, but, but particularly for me, I much rather um, follow the Word of God in the very early teaching, the teaching that Christ passed on to the apostles, that the apostles passed on to the first generation of Christians. Um, that's where I want to be. I want to plant my feet 
um, in the foundation of the doctrine of the apostles. And so that first church, the church in Jerusalem, and what Ephesians causes us to do is to look at many of these uh, topics that the, that the first church, the apostles, that Paul, that Timothy, that second generation uh, are teaching. And so, uh, so again, if you hear something that seems maybe a, a little bit different than what you've been taught or what you believe, um, I promise you we're a lot closer than what you may think. And so sometimes it's just the way we say something. Uh, and sometimes if you let me define certain things by my definition, I can be almost anything. Um, but if you tell me your definition of what it means, I may not. And so uh, I think a lot of our disagreements or concerns um, between the denominations and even within our own denomination, the Baptist church, because we're all over the place. It's hard to find two Baptist churches that agree on anything except um, baptism by immersion. Um, and so, uh, so just encourage you that if you if you run into a question or concern, uh, then then write in the comment. Let's discuss that. Uh, so let let's look at Ephesians. Let's dig into it. Uh, if you have never been to one of my Bible studies or or been to to one of my sermons you know that I can't get very far, that as I read, I just kind of stop and talk, um, and I want you to do the same thing. So as we come across different passages and, and different concepts, that, uh, that um, just ask your questions, make your comments, and, and we'll, I'll try to address them. Again, if you see me looking down, it's because uh, I'm trying to follow the comments on my phone uh, because the iPad is just the screen. It just allows me to kind of move the camera around like, like that and uh, so uh, if you feel like I'm not looking at the camera enough um, it's because I'm trying to see your comments um, and uh, so let's let's dig into the word and then let's uh, let's interact with one another um, so Ephesians 1 and uh, chap chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 here is the greeting Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God uh, so a couple things one apostle that gives him the authority to teach uh, by the will of God, uh, so this was God choosing Paul to be an apostle, not, uh, this is God choosing Paul, not Paul choosing God. So, so make sure you, you understand that. As a minister, as a pastor, uh, God chose me to be a pastor. He gave me that calling in my life. I did not choose to be a pastor on my own. And that's really what a calling is. It's when when we're living in the will of God for us. And so Paul identifies himself as an apostle and that this is by the will of God. This is, this is God's design, it's God's choice, this is God's doing. Uh, next, who's it written to? To the saints uh, who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, written to the church. Well, this is very important because um, we are the church today. No matter where our membership is and no matter what denomination we affiliate ourselves with, uh, we are the universal body of Christ, uh, the, the, the holy Catholic church. And, and when you hear that, make sure you understand that Catholic just means um, the universal church. So we're not saying we're Roman Catholic. That's different. But the Catholic church and all of our confessions, and so just a, a sidebar, when we read our uh, confessions and creeds, when it says the the Holy Catholic Church, it's not talking about the Roman Catholic Church, it's talking about the universal body of Christ. And, um, and so that's who this letter should be written 
uh, to and should be studied by uh, are those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ um, uh, unto salvation. And then the salutation in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so just remind you that uh, as we are facing this tragedy in the world today, uh, where our peace comes from, uh, our peace comes from God, who is our Father, and from our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 1 and 2, and not really doctrine there, just, just Paul saying, hey, this is who I am, this is what I, uh, who I'm writing to. Uh, but then we get into some pretty deep uh, theological and doctrinal issues uh, in verses 3. Um, through six and um, in our outline that I gave you uh, God's purpose for the church uh, what I told you is that I would outline this and if I was sharing this with someone it, it would be I would title it the predestination of Christ or predestination in Christ and so well uh, let's just take a look so verse three says blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and so, um, so here's the source of our blessing, our spiritual blessings, is again, uh, just as in verse 2 says, that our peace comes from God the Father and through the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 3, it is our blessings and our spiritual blessings that, that come from the very same place, from, the, from uh, God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 4 is, uh, for me, one of the most comforting verses in all of scripture uh, because it says that we've been spiritually blessed in the heavenly places that's the end of verse three and then verse four says even as he chose us in him now listen that there's um, this is very clear-cut doctrine this is a very clear theological teaching and and worthy to be accepted and that is this that he chose us in him paul doesn't He's not using tricky language here. It's not that we need to dig into the Greek to find out what this actually means. It's very self-evident there. Um, is that God has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And so this is, this is that high call that we hear talked about in uh, uh, in, in Romans, Philippians, this call that God has on our life. Um, and so a lot of people want to take this to mean, uh, oh, it's not that he chose us, it's that he knew that we would choose him. And unfortunately, that just doesn't hold very much water here. Uh, the teaching is very clear and very evident um, that Christ has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world was even laid, that we should be holy and that we should be blameless before him in love. All right, make sure you see that. So all these things that God's called us to do must be carried out. If, they're, if they are Christian and done in the image of Christ, then they must be done in love. And, and so we have been called by God to... Adoption, literally, is what we're going to talk about in just a second, is the word he's going to use. We've literally been called by God. He's chosen us, and he's chosen us before the foundation of the world. And what has he chosen us for? That we should be holy and blameless before him. And, and so what, what does that look like? Well, it means that we ought to be living lives that are holy, that are different, 
that are separate from the world in which we live in. And one of the, the problems I see uh, among the church today in the world in which we live is that it's very hard to tell a difference between uh, the church and the world. Uh, it, that our actions are so similar and the culture that in which we live, the things that we have um, bowed down to in, in essence or we've just accepted or we lost the fight because we lost the motivation uh, to stand up for, um, for God's truth and God's standards. Uh, and now we find ourselves in a position uh, where people will call, call themselves Christians but if you look at their life, there's, there's no evidence whatsoever uh, that they've been set apart by God, that they've been called, uh, equipped, and set apart to the work of God. And so he's chosen us uh, in himself before the foundation of the world so that we might be holy, different, separate, set apart. Uh, so a Christian should be identifiable in the world. Uh, and so people should not even have to ask us, uh, do you believe in Christ? Um, listen, I, I know that, that we have to share Christ. We, ha we have to witness to, to folks. We have to be about evangelism. We have to share the word. We, we have to offer uh, people the opportunity to uh, make a profession of faith. Um, so all these things we, we have to do. But the world should know before we even open our mouths by our actions that we're Christians, that there's something different about this person, right? So we ought to live in such a way that when people see us, they may not say you're a Christian, but, but they would say this, there's something different about that person. There's something that separates them from the world. There's something that is holy about the way they do things. And it's not because we are holy. It's not because we're righteous. It's not because we are, um, you know, the sanctified in ourselves. But all of this is the work of God in our life through Jesus Christ, continuing through the sealing and the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives. And so, uh, uh, so four and five at times can be, um, somewhat contentious because four says this four basically says all right even as he's chosen us in himself or as he's chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world uh, verse 5 begins he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will so, so here's what the apostle Paul is literally saying um, and, and it's just there in black and white. So, so it's why I can sit before you. Um, Paul has the authority to teach on these topics because he's an apostle of Christ. That he's been called by the will of God to be an apostle. And Paul basically says to us, just as I was called by him in accordance to his will, so too are you called by him even before the foundation of the world, you've been called to be set apart and to be different, uh, to live holy and separate lives from the way that the world lives. And then Paul now goes a little bit deeper in verse 5 to explaining how verse 4 takes place. And so verse 4 is this thought. Verse 4 is, we've been chosen by Christ before the foundation of the world. Chapter 5 is, 
a little clearer and a little more specific about how we've been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And verse 5 clears it up and says, this is how he chose you. Uh, and this is what he says. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. How did he choose us? He chose us according to the purpose of his will. This is the exact same manner in which Paul says he was chosen to be a uh, an apostle by the purpose of God's will. So we too have been called out to be set apart and sanctified uh, through the indwelling and work of the Holy Spirit of God, through the atonement and the propitiation, the payment of our sin by Christ on the cross, uh, evident uh, in the resurrection, where God has said, I, I have accepted the payment for the sins of the world. And you know that I have accepted the payment of the sins of the world because I have resurrected. I have, uh, he's been risen from the grave. So questions about this. I, I don't know. Uh, before I get into um, uh, us talking a little more about 4 and 5, uh, any thoughts, comments, concerns, questions? Um, I, I guess about 10 years ago, in this area, in our community, it just seemed um, that um, that we could not come together and agree on um, the simple fact. And, and the simple fact of what verse 4 and what verse 5 teach us are this. Uh, we can't save ourselves. Uh, it is God who saves us. And uh, so, so let me say it again because... This is evident. This is clear. We all believe this. And this is what verse 4 and 5 says. So we can't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves from ourselves. In fact, the only thing we contribute to salvation is the sin that requires salvation. And so the only thing that I have attributed to um God working in my life to call me out of the world and into his family to be an adopted son, the only thing that I could do was to get myself in deeper debt to God through sinfulness. And yet, so it's God who has to save us. How does he save us? Well, he saves us uh, through the atonement, through the substitutionary atonement, of Jesus Christ who died in our place. How do we know we're saved? Because he gives us his Holy Spirit. So I, I like what um, Spurgeon said this. Uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon said, uh, It would not be so wonderful that man should choose God. The wonder is that God would choose man. So I want you to think about that a second. I mean, the amazement and the wonder... It's not that we would be looking and searching and reaching for God. The wonder in it is that God has sought us out. Uh, has, even before the foundation of the world, uh, written our names uh, on his heart. And predestined us to be the adopted sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. According to what? According to his will according to what he desires. So I want to make sure you understand, human responsibility is real, it's necessary, it continues. Every day, I have responsibility to act and to live 
separated, set apart from the world. I have the ability to do that through the Holy Spirit of God who equips us, um, who um, convicts us of sin. But ultimately, I am responsible for my actions. I'm responsible for my actions. And so when it comes to sanctification in Christ, we play a really big part uh, in, how, in the sanctification process. What do I mean by that? We, we don't sanctify ourselves. I don't mean that. I mean that God has given us a prescription for how we grow in relationship with him. And if we don't do those things, if we don't consciously and willingly do the things that, that will help us to become more set apart, more sanctified, more like Christ, more uh, imitators of the Lord Jesus Christ, then, then we will stay where we're at spiritually. No, we won't stay where we're at spiritually. There's only, there's only two possible choices uh, for where you're headed in your sanctification. And one is you're growing closer to God. And so if you're growing closer to God, you understand like, man, there's a lot of things I need to do and I choose to do, and then God does the work. Um, but if you're not growing closer to Christ, then you're growing further in isolation from Christ. And so either you're growing closer to the Lord Jesus Christ and becoming more like him, or you are drifting away from him and becoming less like him. And so we don't just, we don't plateau and, and, and just stay at, at, at a certain point in our walk with Christ. We're either growing in the Lord um, or unfortunately uh, we are decreasing in our likeness to him. So the doctrine of, of election is, is verse 4. Uh, people have asked me over the years, do you believe in election? And the answer is yes. Uh, why? Well, because I adhere to the Baptist faith and message. And the Baptist faith and message clearly states that we believe in the election of God. Uh, why do we believe that so, so strongly? It's because of Ephesians 4. Uh, here, Scripture plainly tells us that God chose us before the foundation of the world. Now, here's what I would like to share. For, for some who, uh, when you hear me say that, when you hear me talk about election, um, a lot of people see that as though um, there are people who want to go to heaven that aren't going to get to go to heaven, and there are people who would have chosen to go to hell, um, and they want to go to hell, but God's making them, dragging them to heaven, uh, with them kicking and screaming. And that's just not the case. In fact, all through Scripture, what I see is that if there is a person who, hearing the gospel, uh, would have responded to it, uh, they, God, it's because God has um, chosen them from the foundation of the world to respond. Uh, so I take great comfort in knowing that um, any person who would receive Christ... They're going to heaven. God's chosen them. He, he's given them faith. Um, he's given them the faith necessary to believe. And those who would reject Christ, even if they've never heard Christ, uh, then God's not responsible uh, to make sure that those who are non-believers and who have rejected his son and will continue to reject his son, um, he's not held to an obligation to them uh, because already they've rejected Christ. Uh, why? They don't have the gift of faith. Uh, 
sometimes I, I will ask a question like this. On something as important as salvation, do you trust God to make those choices? Or would you put that in the hands of man? And, and, and Paul makes it very clear that not only in his walk as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it was God and according to the will of God that he was chosen to be an apostle. And he makes it very clear to the church that those who are called to be the sons and daughters of God um, have been called by the will of God. And so God desires us to be his children. And God desires us. And, uh, and he has called us uh, by what we call the doctrine of election. And we see it all over the place. Uh, some place let, let me give you some, some passages, some scripture that you might. Uh, John chapter 6 verse uh, 44. You see a very clear teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, of those that God has called out. Uh, in Acts 13, 48. Of course, Romans uh, 8, 29. Romans 9, 11. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, and 4. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. 2 Timothy 2, 10. 1 Peter 1, 2. Ephesians 1, 6. Ephesians 1, 5. I can go on and on and on with New Testament scripture uh, and even Old Testament references um, to this idea that God's election, that's, a, that's just another, that's a doctrinal way of saying uh, God's predestination, that he's predestined uh, those from the very foundation of the world to be saved. Uh, again, I take great solace because I don't believe there's anyone um, who even has a desire um, to seek out God uh, whom God will not call to himself and save. Uh, and that God will not drag people kicking and screaming to heaven. Um, and so, uh, but Paul makes it very clear uh, that it is God who has chosen us. That it's, it's through God's sovereign will uh, before even the creation of the world. Um, and therefore, uh, it's obviously independent of human influence uh, and apart from human merit we can't earn salvation we we can't be good enough to be saved uh, my dad uh, i can remember several uh, years ago i was preaching through the book of ephesians and um so dad was raised in um more of a, a pentecostal type uh church i'm not sure they were uh, really affiliated with the pentecostal church as a denomination but uh, very charismatic, uh, independent from, uh, from I, I really believe, an independent church. And so was kind of taught um, a, almost contrary to Ephesians uh, chapter 1. And, and so I remember preaching through this passage. And I remember thinking to myself, um, I had reformed. Um, I had a couple families that had come out of a reformed background, which there's nothing wrong with. That's, they had been taught in a Reformed Baptist church and grew up in that. And, and then my dad, who came more from a charismatic side of things, an independent-type uh, church. And we have plenty of people in the church that came literally out of the independent Baptist church. And I remember really worrying, like, uh, God, I, I really just I need you to be with me so that um, I can't skip this passage. It's there. And I believe that if it's in Scripture, it's important that we, uh, that we address it. And so I just remember thinking, God, I don't want to offend anyone. 
and I don't want to mislead anyone. And so God just prayed for him. I prayed it all week long. I just really, um, I was not looking forward to preach in Ephesians chapter 1 uh, because of the diverse views that uh, were in the church. And, uh, and I don't think that's bad. Um, I think ultimately we have to turn to God's word and teach God's word, what it says unashamedly, just here's what the word of God says, and if God's word says it, I believe it, even if I wasn't taught it, even if I grew up thinking something differently, e even if I came into church day with a different view, if, if the Bible says it, we have to teach it, and if the Bible says it, we must accept it. And, uh, and so I came, uh, got in the pulpit, uh, even praying on the way up to the pulpit, just God, please, uh, don't let this cause division in our church. Don't let it cause division uh, in people's faith. Now, we went home after church, and, and my dad was, uh, my family was, they were eating at our house after church. And, and my dad said something profound to me. Uh, he said, um, I know that God chose me. And so I asked him kind of to elaborate, you know, what he meant by that. And he said, uh, well, I didn't go to church the night I got saved looking for Christ. Uh, and to me, boy, that was just like a light bulb going off, right? Most of us were not seeking out Christ. And yet we came to a belief and, and a foundation in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ had already called us even before the foundations of the world. As Spurgeon said something profound early in my reading. I came across this, which really just kind of eased my mind about some of the, um, the different ways people think about um, salvation, the calling of God uh, and our response to God, and, and who is it that responds, and is it God that, that does all the work? Is it men who, who do, has to accept Christ? And I just remember Spurgeon said this. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, um, that there is a line, and we'll call that God's sovereignty, and that line goes on forever. And then there's a second line uh, called human responsibility, where humans are called to react to God. And Spurgeon said, I don't know where those two lines intersect. I, I don't know where the lines intersect of human responsibility and God's sovereignty but I, but I know that both are at work daily in the life of the church. And, and Spurgeon said the only person uh, who would know where they uh, intersect is God because they cross somewhere before his throne. And what Spurgeon was saying is uh, this is in, in, in some sense a mystery of God's calling us to himself even before the foundation of the world. And, and it's an aspect of it's this beautiful mystery that God loved us so much, he called us to himself. I mean, here's the thing. I'm a Christian today because God wanted me to be a part of his family. That, that just blows me. That, that's amazing. Like, just think about that a second. Like, I'm not a child of God today because I decided that I was convinced. Somebody convinced me or, or Pascal's wager where Pascal said, boy, if I believe in God, um, and it's not true, then I really haven't lost anything. But if I don't believe in God and God's real, it costs me eternity. Uh, so I'm going to believe in God. That just can't happen. It, that's just not genuine faith. It's not real faith. It's, it's just um, humans trying to react 
to um, what is the best case scenario if I'm going to be wrong about something? Which side do I want to be wrong on? And that's not how salvation occurs. Uh, salvation occurs through the work of Jesus Christ at the bidding and will of God the Father. And if you are a believer, if you are saved, or if God's beginning to speak to your heart and draw you to himself, then here's what you need to hear today. God has chosen you to be a part of his family. God is a, an active God who desires intimacy with his children. So God has called you out to be a part of his family. And that blows my mind completely. Because none of us deserve what God's done for each of us. And so this is where we're going to stop tonight. I know it's only uh, five verses. Um, I ask, hey, continue to, to look over these scriptures. Con continue to read this. Um, you, you should never accept anything because somebody told you so. But your doctrine, your faith, your, your theology needs to be based on Scripture. You need to be grounded in God's Word. And you can't really know what God's Word says if you're not studying it. And so that's my desire, that we come together, that we, we study God's Word, that together interactively through discussion, uh, the best we can, questions that come up, uh, questions that arise, that ultimately here's what we're seeking. We're, we want the truth. We just want the truth. And the truth is found in the word of God. And, uh, and that's where I want to land. I don't want to land somewhere because this is where my friends land. I don't want to land somewhere because it's what I was taught as a kid. I want to land on the scripture and what scripture teaches. And based on Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 5, I am so glad, comforted to know that God loved me so much that he called me out to be his son. And if you're a believer today, it's because God loved you so much that he called you out to be his son or daughter. And today, if you don't know 